Just one verse, and we'll go to many others, God willing, this morning. Exodus 26, 14. You'll remember that the way we got here, the way the Lord led us here, is that there's a contrast, a big contrast. And Spencer, if you could put it up on the screen, the big uh, picture of the tabernacle. A big contrast between um, a believer who's in the courtyard and a believer who is in communion with the Lord. Um, a courtyard believer or a believer who's in communion. We know that to be in that courtyard in the tabernacle is a picture of salvation. It means that we've been saved. We've, been, we've, we've repented toward God and put faith in His Son. But to move on into communion, to move on into communion is another matter. And the way we got there was is that we were looking at Nehemiah. And in looking at Nehemiah's testimony and God working through him to lead him to rebuild the wall after the Babylonian at the end of the Babylonian captivity, that we observed that God in three waves sent his people back, some of them, in order to start the work of rebuilding the city. And the first thing that they did, led by Ezra, was that they rebuilt they rebuilt the temple. And we looked at that and saw a, a truth that applies to us, and that is that as we go to do the work that God's called us to do, that we don't need to get things turned around. That communion uh, with the Lord is the power and strength through which the wall is built. If we had our design and we had our way, we probably would have built the wall first and then built the tabernacle or the, the temple. But not so with God. God built the temple first because worship was the priority. Communion was the priority. For God knew, like no one else, that God knew that... Uh, I'm sorry, the rebuilding of the temple was led by Zerubbabel. But God knew that, um, and does know, that if the temple is not built first and the wall or the work of the wall is done, then the work of the wall will be done in your own strength. And this is characteristic of a, a courtyard believer. Taking spiritual things, spiritual objectives and spiritual priorities, but yet trying to accomplish them in the strength of the flesh. But yet the communion believer has come into a place uh, of communion with the Lord to no longer depend upon themselves, but to rest wholly in the work of God through the Son of God applied to the child of God by the Holy Spirit. And so we need to understand and know what this business is about being in communion with our Lord. I want you to look at, a, a, at, the, at the, in, in Exodus chapter 26, verse 14, it says, You shall also make a covering of ram skins dyed red for the tent and a covering of badger skins above that. And the tent, the place of communion for the believer in the tabernacle, symbolic there, was covered with badger skins. And we made the observation that those badger skins made that a dull-looking place. There was nothing appealing about it. It wasn't bright and shiny or anything like that that would draw you or naturally attract you to it. And that's the perspective of courtyard believers. The communion is not valued as an act of worship because it seems dull, bland, and uninteresting. And we've also talked about the fact that, that uh, because, the, because the tent of meeting stood 15 feet high, you could see that 
you can see the badger skin covering from outside it. And there are plenty enough people who have no appeal to go into the temple tent of meeting uh, because it doesn't look uh, attractive or interesting simply because they're not in the courtyard at all. That they're not even saved. But if you look at it, that's why we said the beauty of badger skins. Because inside that place, underneath that badger skin covering, is the glory of God. Inside that place is where you not only know you have peace with God, but you walk in the peace of God. Inside that place is where you move into what we said last week, and that is that at the bronze altar, which is symbolic of the cross, you know that God gave His life, His Son's life for you. But when you move into communion underneath the covering of the badger skins, you come to realize that God gave His Son's life too. To empower and strengthen us, to, to nurture us so that we can press into Him and come into close, intimate relationship with Him. That's His will. Another verse I want you to look at this morning, you've probably seen it before, but and, 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 uh, and I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but just would like to make the observation of it. And that's Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. There's a testimony of a pastor in Canada on YouTube. I forget his name now. And he gives a just a one-hour testimony, a one-hour basically talk in his office about a revival that God gave him and his fellowship. That God gave his fellowship. And one of the things he said about the revival was this. He said, you know, there was a lay in our fellowship who was um, a little bit obnoxious about her faith. Um, out loud and um, almost had a bent toward legalism. And, um, and, and she was among us and she was um, almost bitter, angry, and never full of the joy that should be characteristic of a saint that's certainly in communion with the Lord. And God moved upon her heart in the middle of their revival service and got a hold of her. And she alone would come to church by herself because the rest of her family did not share, watch this, her faith. They didn't share her faith. But when Jesus got a hold of her, then it made a difference in her family. And she walked up one night at one of their services services and said that my family did not reject the real Jesus. My family has rejected the Jesus they saw in me. Never had an opportunity, really, in my witness to make a decision about Jesus, the real one, until now. Because what I had showed them was not the real one. And you know, even lost people pick up on that. And they know. Lost people don't know of the regenerative work of God in His Son, but let me tell you what they do. They, knew, they do know inherently that if you claim it, it should make a difference. It should make a difference. They have expectations for believers. And it's really not to be perfect, but be humble. And that we should, should display love. They do expect that. And that's just part of the imprint of God on them and their conscience. They know that our claims of faith ought to make a difference. Look at this one. 
It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Oh, dear ones, that's the whole issue right there. Those in communion, those in communion around anybody, eventually get to the point where even the pagan recognizes that person has been with Jesus. That's communion. That's not courtyard. That's communion. Enough of the courtyard. Enough of the courtyard. And see, last week what we did was, and if you missed it, you're to go on the internet and pick up the, the, uh, the, the. And I'm not saying that because I'm not promoting something for me. I'm saying go on there and listen to it because we went through at length. Listen to this now. Some of the characteristics of what it means it, by drawing contrast between what it means for a believer to be in communion and what it means to be in courtyard. A believer in communion, in other words, looks like this. And a believer in courtyard looks like this. And we went through those characteristics. This morning, though, I believe that the Lord would have us. Now, we did that for this reason. So that myself before ever you and you could take a strong look and we'd be bold enough to ask the Lord to search our hearts and ask honest questions and say, Lord, is my walk with you more characteristic of the courtyard or is it more characteristic of communion? To dare ask the question, what is it, Lord? Because if it's the courtyard, I want to know how to get there. I want to know how to get to the communion. I want to know how to get to the intimacy. But, 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 I, but first, before we ever learn of how to go in, we first need to do a self-examination by the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word to see where we are now. In other words, we drew contrasts last week between courtyard Christians and Christians in communion. and the, But that was contrast that revealed the characteristics of communion but not the criteria for it. Did you hear that? Last week was the characteristics of communion, but it wasn't the criteria for it. It's not that those things move us to communion. It's that those things we talked about last week are evidence of communion. See, in order to make us aware that we need to look, in other words, if if there's an interest, and there should be by the Holy Spirit, for us to go from the courtyard to the place of communion, if there's an interest, then we can look up there and see, and Spencer uh, flash up there just the main circle diagram that shows, you know, just a drawing of the tabernacle. That's it. All right, so, so let's answer that question first here. In order to make us aware of our needs, it's where we are, and if we are in the courtyard and we have an interest in going into communion, then we need to look at what stands between salvation, courtyard, and what stands in that between that and communion. And what is it? It's the bronze labor. It's the bronze labor. See, that's where that's where our emphasis needs to be. What is it about that labor? And I'll tell you a couple of things about that labor. And I want you to listen to this carefully. That labor. Now see it right there? The bronze altar is symbolic of the cross. God's redemptive work in His Son. 
Jesus said in Psalm 118, bind the sacrifice to the horns of the altar. And He was speaking of the horns of that altar they would be familiar with that He was going to be bound to. It's His substitutionary atoning death for you and I. That's symbolic of the cross. That's where our relationship begins. And then, though, to move on in, now we're in the courtyard. And by the way, remember that courtyard believers make their decisions by the same light as people who are outside the tabernacle. It's sunlight. And just as a word of encouragement to you, whatever you get in communion will not be understood or well received by people who are in the courtyard. It won't. Because they operate by S-U-N light in the courtyard. But in communion, you operate by S-O-N light. Alright, but I want you to listen to this now carefully. That labor is not there to prevent entrance. It is there to prepare and permit it. Did you listen to that? That labor, the warnings that we're given from the Scriptures for the Lord's Supper about relationship and fellowship and don't take this cup are not given by our Lord to keep you from taking it, is given by the Lord to prepare you and permit you to take it. That is not a guard to keep you without. It is a means by which you go in. The way has been opened. The veil has been torn from top to bottom. Access has been granted. Saint, come in! The Lord says, the labor is not there to prevent entrance. It is there to prepare and permit entrance. God is not a distant, unapproachable God. In the outer court, in the courtyard, you stay there long enough, you will view Him that way. And if you listen to courtyard believers long enough, you'll begin to think like them. And they'll stand out there on the plantation, on the plantation serving and sweating up a, just a fit out there laboring in the field. And while you're out there laboring with them, they'll say, don't you go up there and talk to the Master. Because if you do, He'll wipe you out. He'll take a butcher knife from His kitchen. He'll cut your throat. Don't you even go up to His, don't you even go up to his, his porch. Well, have you ever been there? No. No, i got better sense. And then one day you decide, you know what? I'm not going to listen to that anymore. And I'm going to go up and see for myself. I'm not staying out here. I'm going to come back here and labor. You better believe it. But I'm going to tell you something right now. It's going to be a difference in my step because I've been with Jesus. There's going to be a boldness about me, not brashness, not ugliness. And my life is going to be characterized by joy and not joylessness. And my life is going to be characterized by love because I know I've been loved. You cannot deeply love until you know that you're deeply loved. You can't. He is not distant and unapproachable. At the outer court, if you go out there, here's what God says about it. In Psalm 14, Psalm 53, and in Romans 3.11, no one seeks God, no, not one. Before you get saved, we've talked about it many times before, you did not seek God. God sought you. Fanny Crosby had it right. He sought me and He bought me with His redeeming blood. That's right. But once you get in the courtyard, He lets you in because He called you in and gives you understanding and enlightenment and salvation. 
it turns. He sought you outside the tabernacle. But once you get in, you seek Him. You seek Him with all your heart. The Bible says in Hebrews eleven six, without the faith it's impossible to please God. And he who comes to Him must believe that He is. And He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Listen now. We have to develop this because we've listened to, we've listened to the slave mentality far too long. We've listened to folks who've meandered around in the courtyard and have contorted and twisted the Scriptures to their own destruction and the destruction of others who have, who have not pressed into communion and only theorized about it and have never been there themselves and warned you of the dangers of going there. And resist the communion. But look at this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, listen to this. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast our confession without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And while we're here together, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. The church of the living God exists in part in collective meetings to encourage believers to get into the courtyard and don't stop there. Go from the courtyard into the place of communion and when you get there, you're ruined for life because the courtyard will no longer be appealing to you. You look at the language the Lord is using here. Boldness to enter in. He made a way through, He made a way, He consecrated the way through the veil. He gave His body for it. And He said, draw near. Draw near with full assurance, not doubt and fear and trepidation, not hesitancy. Draw near. Come with confidence, with a confession that I believe in Him and I believe in the blood and I believe it was enough. Oh no, God's not distant and unapproachable. If He were, He wouldn't have left heaven and came down here on this earth to reach and redeem me and you. Unapproachable? Unknowable? Oh my. So, it's not there to permit. Entrance is there to prepare it's not there to prevent it. It's there to prepare and permit it. Now let's look. Then we need to mess and gone then with the, with, the, uh, with the bronze laver, don't we? Because if that stands between the courtyard and that stands between the courtyard and communion, I have an interest in what that means. If you have an interest in wanting to move in, better, we need to have a heads up about what that means. And we'll go through some of that this morning. We'll not be able to finish it. Look at Exodus chapter 30. You know some of what it means. But Exodus chapter 30. Um, and we're going to look at some verses we looked at before, 17 through 21. Exodus chapter 30. 
17 to 21. He speaks of the bronze labor here. His instruction is the Lord gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, You shall also make a labor of bronze, which is with its base also of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tabernacle of meeting and the altar. In our understanding right now, he's saying, put it between the courtyard and communion. Put this between the courtyard and communion. Set it right there. That's exactly the way I want it. You put it right there. And you'll put it, you'll put water in it. And Aaron and his sons are going to wash their hands and their feet in the water from it. And when they go into the tabernacle of meeting, or when they come able to minister, to burn an offering made there by the fire of the Lord, they'll wash their, they shall wash with the water lest they die. So you suspect that the priest was interested in what happened in the Ron's life? I would think so. I would think so. I think if you were in the meeting with all the priests and you said, okay, here's orientation. This is what you got to do to go in there. And you said, and if you don't do it, you'll die. I'd go, well, wait a minute now. Hold on just a second. Go over that again. What was that? Uh, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, so, um, wash lest they die. So they wash their, watch this now, their hands and their feet lest they die. And it shall be a statute forever to them, to him and his descendants throughout their generations. <laughs> you wash your hands you wash your feet there. Now you already cleanse from your sin by the time you get there. But you wash your hands and your feet there. Now, according to, and I'm not going to ask you to go there, but you can put it down in your notes if you want to, just so that you can verify it. But according to Exodus chapter 38, verse 8, that bronze labor was made by bronze mirrors that were given to them by the women of the congregation. So that means that. That when the priest looked down to wash his hands in the mirror, he had the desert sun shining on a beautiful mirror filled with water. It was brilliant. Man, it lit up everything. And the problem is, is the reason we're often resistant to go to the, de- to the labor is for that very reason. Because it will light up everything. I'm going to tell you this. This is important. I tell my children this all the time. Let me tell you, let me tell you how to be sure that the devil will mess with you. Just walk in dark places. Anytime you walk in a dark place, just know this. You are outside the protection of God and the favor of God because right there is where the devil does his work. As soon as you drag something to the light, the devil goes Shh, and flees. Do not walk in darkness. Do not walk in darkness. Don't hide things. Don't conceal things. Don't conceal things from your parents. Because once you do, I'm telling you right now, that's where the devil will will grab you. Because he hates your guts. And he wants to destroy you. So, the Bible says in John chapter 3 that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. The last thing, and I tell you this, this happens in churches all the time. When once the light starts going, some folks will get so uncomfortable with it, they'll cut before you know it. Because the light's being turned on. Look out! The light's being turned on. 
you know what? I'm trying to fool myself and others and God's not putting up with it. Why is that? Was He trying to keep me from Him? Or is He trying to dream me to the bronze labor to draw me to Him? You answer that question. Which is it? He's trying to draw you to the bronze labor to move you from the courtyard into communion. That's what He's trying to do. It was light up. It would shine. So far, you go in there to the courtyard with your sacrifice and your lamb in tow with your family and you offer it to the priest and he checks it out and offers up the sacrifice. You're doing something. You're coming in there. But everything that happens from the labor to the inside is only done by the priests. I got good news. That's called the Old Covenant. Old Covenant. But now, what does Jesus say about us now? Look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's go over there right quick. Like we read this before when we went through our study on 1 Peter. Oh man. <laughs> 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. I'm sorry, 4. 1 Peter 2, 4. We're going to go back to 1 to 3. Coming to Him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men. Listen to this. But chosen by God and precious. You know what that means? That word precious. It's the same word that we would use to say that something was a precious stone. It means it's costly, highly prized, and rare. God views His people as what they are. Costly, highly prized, and rare. Oh my. He said, and you as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. What? A holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted by God through Jesus Christ. Turn one over, page over, or the next couple of verses in verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, His own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light, who once were not a people of God, but now the people of God, and who have not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Look what He calls us. We're a chosen generation and we're a royal priesthood. Under the Old Covenant, Aaron and his descendants get to go in. All the works done from there on out solely by the priests. New Covenant, the veil's been opened, the temple's been torn from top to bottom and He says, all who repent and put faith in My Son chosen before the foundation of the world can enter in. And the bronze labor is there to ensure it. No, we have to close here. But boy, I hate to do that. But uh, if you have to wash your hands and your feet in order to get into the communion, what is it that gives rise to the need to wash your hands and your feet? Well, we've already observed that first of all. This is not for the sweet by and by. This is for the nasty now and now. Because the floor of the tabernacle from the courtyard on into the tent 
is earth. It's earth. This is heaven reality that's to be lived out while we're earthly sojourning. Thank God for that. And <clears throat> so if you're in need of washing your feet, it means you've picked up some things from this earth while you're doing your work. And your feet stand in need of washing. If you're using your hands in order to check out the sacrifices and then make them and then see to it that they're properly placed on the altar and, the, and, the, and all the blood, that's bloody work. And that means that your hands, whether you see it or not, have blood on them. Now, everything that we need to know about moving from the courtyard to the communion are found in what gives rise to those needs of cleansing and what we as believers respond to it right there. Hands and feet. Now we have to stop there. But it's the hands that have blood and the feet that have picked up some junk. Can't help but pick it up by being on this nasty earth. There it is. A cursed earth that's groaning and travailing waiting for its future redemption just like we're waiting for ours. And ours will be will precede creation's redemption. And it will be remade in all of its glory. Hands and feet. Application. We have to ask the Lord and go before the Lord and say, Lord, is there blood on my hands? And there are several applications. I want to go through them, but there's no way we're going to be able to get to them this morning. But I want to ask you, just go before the Lord this week. If you have an interest, if there's an interest in you, if you acknowledge, Lord, the better part of my Christian life, or maybe where I'm at right now, is in the courtyard. And I'm done with it. I have been spent trying to do Your will. I have been spent with powerlessness and ineffectiveness and I'm confused and often walk around in doubt and fear and I'm plagued by it and nobody else knows it except me and you and maybe some people that are close enough around me. And I'm done with it. And I want to move into a place of communion with you. Right there. we got bloody hands and we got a feet that we've picked up some stuff on our sojourn to this world and they need cleansing. Practical cleansing. This week, would you go before the Lord? You, let's go before the Lord and we'll, we'll do it together next week. God willing to forgive us another week. And ask the Lord, where's the blood on my hands and where's the dirt on my feet? I'll guarantee you, I'll guarantee you, based on what I know about God through the Scriptures, which is the most important, and by personal experience, which is far less important, He'll answer that question. He will answer that question. He, might, he won't answer it in your timing. He, he won't, more than likely. It won't be that you ask Him and then you go, all right, God, now! You know, and we get out and, okay, you know, and we wait. No, no, no. We just say, Lord, I'm asking you the question, put it there, and I want you to answer it for me. And let's ask the Lord this week. If you're done with the courtyard and you want to move in communion, the only thing that stands between the courtyard and communion are dirty, bloody hands and dirty feet. That's it. That's it. And dear ones, my prayer for my life and the life of my family and the life of this church that we be comprised that the, the, the rule and not the exception 
would be we would be believers who are in a communion with God. And that, the brand of Christianity that those you care about and are near you is the brand of Christianity that those in communion live rather than the ones that wander around in the courtyard who've never bothered to enter. And at least if those who reject our faith and our profession of having it, if they reject it, at least they've had the opportunity to reject the literal Jesus rather than my sorry representation of Him. Alright? Let's ask Him. That's a wonderful time to, to do the Lord's Supper. Lord, you know what? I may need a cleansing. Now this isn't positional cleansing. That took place at Calvary. That's a done work. This is practical cleansing until we realize our position of cleansing in future glory. But we need to ask. And ask the Lord. If there's something you've brought up in my spirit, and something you brought front and center to me that I need to repent of, His call for us is to do that this morning. If there's some bitterness in me or unforgiveness, and I'll tell you another one too. Sin is sin. And the sin of disbelief is just as rank and foul and repulsive to God as the sin of adultery. You know, we can be a little smug in our Christian faith and start focusing in on things and sins that maybe not give us a problem or we're not involved in. If you do that, that will be to the peril of you not recognizing by the Holy Spirit what you're having a problem with. It's a distraction technique by the devil and it works very effectively. But since we're aware of his schemes and the wiles of the devil and we've been informed of how he works, let's don't listen to him or play into his shenanigans. This morning, the Lord's Supper is a time of examination. It is a spot on the labor not to keep you from communion, but to grant you access and guarantee it. It is an invitation from a holy God who loves us so very much He would spend His Son to purchase that kind of relationship with you and me. Not because He's a needy, dysfunctional God who is codependent. He is an eternal, heavenly Father who has everything and longs to give everything to the objects of His affection. And that's His people. It's like a Father who has everything and says, nestle up to me because I want you to have it. We have me. Not because I'm needy, but because you stand to benefit from having me. Because I'm everything. Now, is the relationship there? Is the fellowship there? Are we in courtyard? Are we in communion? Has God brought something front and center right now? Now's the time to deal with it. Now's the time to deal with it. And then, we can sit at this table with joy, expectancy, and, and grace, and un mitigated gratitude for the fact that He purchased me. Hallelujah to His name.